Okay. Hi, Joshua. Hey, Josh. Okay, there we go. Now we're starting. Exodus 9. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Joshua is uh, one of the guys in our class who is serving in the reserves in Afghanistan <laughs> right now. And so we're kind of recording this. And, and did you do that last week's? I did not. I couldn't figure out how to do it. Pretty hard. No, no, no. I actually, <laughs> I actually forgot to record last week, uh, which is why. I, oh, he's so safe as bad. <laughs> so whatever they say, who's going to prove it? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so we've got we've got the river turning to blood, the Nile, uh, frogs, gnats, mosquitoes, whatever that is, biting flies, horse flies, barn flies. Yeah, pretty nasty. It was. We had one in the car, and I think I was freaking out. I was driving down the road, and he had a horse fly in the back, and I said, "Just let the wind get it." We had the windows down. I went, it was, well, he, apparently they weren't strong enough for screaming. So I'm getting out of here. So, um, but anyway, Egyptian last. Thank you for keeping us on track. Egyptian last. And then the next thing was what? Last week, boils. Boils. That uh, sounds pretty nasty. And what was the distinction that we had last week? There was a distinction made between a certain people and another certain people. Who got boils? Who didn't? The Egyptians. Got the Egyptians did. And the, and the land of Goshen did not have them. What about the livestock? Same thing? Same thing. Okay. Let's look at verse 13. And we'll read through to the end of the chapter. Oh, I just like reading. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put, my hand, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow... I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock, and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail fail, falls on, him, on them. I'll get it right in a minute. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and on every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and, the fire, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the nation. Uh, of, in the midst of, wait, what am I doing here? There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field, only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, 
and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. All right, that's a long passage, and we're going to take two weeks on it, but we're going to go through the history of it right now, just the narrative. Um, last time, Boils, a distinction is made between Israel and Egypt, and we saw that also clearly made with the death of the livestock. There's a shift here with the seventh plague, though. Some, some critics of the Bible say, yeah, this is a natural occurrence. You know, once you have a river that has some kind of thing going wrong with it, naturally you have frogs coming out of the mud to get away from the river, and then that leads to gnats and flies and pestilence. And... Okay, so how do you get from boils to hail? That's what I want to know. How do, you, how do you make that connection? So there's a break here. We go from, you know, water, earth, and now sky. It almost sounds New Age-ish, I don't know. <laughs> So there's no argument to be made that this hail is a natural progression from the boils. Um, but we begin again with a new cycle of plagues, don't we? He starts again with an audience in the morning. And notice what he says. For this time, for this time I'm going to send all my plagues on you. There's no condition here. It's going to happen. Before we talked about there being an if-then clause. Remember, the, the, if you don't let them go, then this is going to happen. He doesn't do that here. This is going to happen. I'm going to give all my plagues on you. Now, they're not all in this instance, but he's saying we're going to complete the cycle. This is the third cycle. It's going to happen. Why do you think he says that? Why do you think he goes ahead and says, I'm just going to go ahead and lay all this out on you? We're on seven. It's a 70% fail rate so far. He's given them plenty of opportunity. He's already established a pattern. Okay. So asking and then waiting and everything, he's just... He's just hitting them with plagues. He's right. Just, he's just keeping on with the pattern. He's already proved this is what he's doing. This is what Pharaoh's doing. Pharaoh's going to resist. Right. I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen. Right. He does that in a big way here, though, in this chapter. Probably bigger than most people want to really grapple with. <laughs> he really lays it out. One thing I want to bring up, he uses the word plagues, and it's a derivative of the, of the Hebrew word that means to strike. To strike. Um, and then he says that it's against you yourself I'm going to bring these plagues. Literally, against your heart. Now, what is significant about the heart of Pharaoh? He's striking at the heart of Pharaoh. We know from Egyptian culture, what do they view Pharaoh as? What, what was he supposed to be? God. A god. He was a, the embodiment of some of their, their... Really, the family was in power, whatever their pet gods were. I use that intentionally. Whatever their pet gods were... They, they were the embodiment of those, of those gods. So he's supposed to be deity. The heart of Pharaoh 
was believed by the Egyptians to be the supreme controlling factor in history and society. What he willed, that's the way it was. He was the ultimate TBN preacher, you know. Okay. That heart right now is hard against the Hebrews. And this plague is striking at that notion. You have a plague coming from the sky. Um, what's the reason for the attack? Look at verse 14. What's the reason for the attack? What, what, why is God striking him yet again? No chance. Just says, I'm going to do it. There's not a condition. You're not going to let him go. Here it is. Why is he doing it? What does he say, verse 14? So that you Again, we're seeing this again, a thing, this re- 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 uh, reoccurring theme of who is this God of the Hebrews? I do not know Yahweh, he says in chapter 5 when Moses and Pharaoh first meet. And again, you see God pointing to the reason for these plagues over and over that you may know what, that God has a wonderful plan for your life? And then uh, 16 and 17, it says, but for this purpose I have raised you up show you my power, such as my name, if you proclaim it on earth in 17. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So Pharaoh's like exalting himself, getting in the way of God. There's a difference in, okay, I know the God of the Hebrews versus I know and submit to God, right? I mean, he's, he's making that clear here. Notice the antithesis here in, in, in verse 15. There, there's, a, there's an evangelistic element to this, that you may know that the Lord is the Lord of all the earth. There's an evangelistic element. But at the same time, God, God is, is clearly laying out, Pharaoh, you're not going to repent. And there's a reason for it. Look at verse 15. There's the antithesis there is, Yahweh will become known throughout all the earth, But at any time, God can make the memory of the Egyptians to disappear through pestilence. He says, I've cut you off from the earth. I've withheld. I've shown you mercy. And you're still raising yourself up against my people. What does that show you about the heart of Pharaoh? It's deceitful above all else. Deceitful? What else? It's hardened. It's hardened in what way? what's, What's he not able to do? What is he not doing? Not seeing or recognizing God to be God. Okay. He's not recognizing God or not giving honor to God, giving honor. He's not obeying. He's not obeying. Which may be a subset of this, but we'll go I think that's Paul says something else in Romans 1. Not only is he not recognizing God's immutable and eternal attributes, but he's also not giving thanks. I could have wiped you out. Right? What is he doing here? He's, he's, he's how many times? The boils alone, that was, it. We, we talked about that last, well, week before last, that that was a deadly, life-threatening disease. He could have wiped them all out in boils. What a horrible way to go. <laughs> Could have done it, didn't do it, withheld his power. And Pharaoh's still not giving thanks for the mercy God showed him. Um, Okay. Verse 16. Just a a passing thought on verse 16. You know, Moses kind of moves on. Uh, He raised him up. 
He raised him up for this purpose. Literally caused him to stand. Who's not standing, by the way? The magicians, you remember that? Couldn't stand in front of the boils. So there's a pun going on here. Uh, he, he raised him up. He caused him to stand. The only reason Pharaoh stands is because of God's grace. Does he deserve it? Does he deserve to stand? Shouldn't he be bedridden with boils by now? No, he doesn't deserve to stand. Uh, does he deserve uh, the judgments that he's that are coming upon the Egyptians? He and the Egyptians. Yeah, is that? It's not a rhetorical question. Huh? <laughs> and more. And more. And God points that out here. I could have wiped you out. And then just in doing so, why? You've raised yourself against my people. I um, I want to make a point here about, and we'll see this again and again. Now that, now that we have Israel as a nation, and whenever we move out of Egypt, we'll see this again and again. He says, because you're exalting yourself against my people. Why does he say it that way? Shouldn't it be exalt yourself against me? When, when, I, when you read that, I was thinking about the church, and that's how God shows Himself is through His people. Okay. There's an identification that God has with His people that's almost, well, it is a one to one. Paul talks about it in terms, in Ephesians 5, of Christ and the church as being like a husband and wife. You talk about Tammy, you talk about me. You, you hurt Tammy, you hurt me, right? That's the, that's the type of identification God has with his people. Which should be a very sobering thought for us. How we, more so now that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. These people, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in us. They didn't have the law written on their heart. God still made them their people. You know, they were just, I guess you could even almost say, unregenerate and rebellious toward him. They didn't keep the law. Now we have it in us. So there's a picture even here of early of the early church in, in Israel um, that, that God is identifying with his chosen people. He's identifying uh, with them to the, to the extent that he is raining down, he's striking at the heart of Pharaoh because of the attack that Pharaoh has against, um, against the people of God. Um, Jesus used similar language, if you've done it to the least of these, you know. All right. Raised you up. Um, the sole reason that Pharaoh is raised up, what is it? 16. What does he say? To show, to show you my power. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That word, for, that word proclaim, we translate proclaim, it has a sense of worship. It's derived from a root that, that talks about worship. Now, Pharaoh's being judged. Pharaoh's not giving honor to God or, or recognizing his eternal attributes. He's not obeying. He's not thankful. And yet, because of Pharaoh, God's name will be worshipped throughout the earth. Isn't this something that, that the whole Bible comes back to again and again? The plagues of Exodus. You see them again. You see it in Revelation, like massive. We'll go there in a minute, but it, these are things that 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 uh, that cause even the unbelieving world to step back and have to explain away these things because it's a, a very powerful thing. 
Well, the lesson for us today is, you know, we've seen men throughout history lift themselves up as God, and every time you trust in a man, you're you're in trouble. Mm. So, you know, don't trust in a man, look to God. But then we see that Jesus tells us to obey our authorities. Yeah. And that could be scary, Vaughn. But then you can look back to this and you go... Was that subliminal? I... <laughs> but you can look back to this and say, you know, God's still over a mom. Or whoever. Hitler. Stalin. Okay. <laughs> just name a few. Just, just can move on here. Just can't, can't go there right now. Still working on, still working on my heart. But um, okay, let's look at let's look at verse eighteen. Look at the timing he gives. Behold, about this time tomorrow. Uh, remember, we had that episode where he said, "You," where Moses said to Pharaoh, "Okay, you you tell me when you want this to happen. When this when this beat down of you is going to happen, you let me know when that's when that's going." And then and then Moses says, "Well, this is going to happen. You know, tomorrow this will happen." Well, God now says. About this time tomorrow, the hour, he's going to have hail from the sky come that he controls on the hour. That should be amazing. Uh, I, 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 I like the weathermen and Tyler. <laughs> Not one of them could predict. They, they always do percentages. Good, good scientists that they are. They, they guess. It's a good guess. And what the percentage represents is not known. Whether it's land coverage <laughs> or a chance. Or what region, you know, is it time or is it... Colda goes directly to the issue. <laughs> it's a matter of definitions of which there are none. Um, there's 90% chance I'm going to have off tomorrow because it's going to be sunny. Um, anyway, so... He gives the hour. He also gives the severity. The, the, the language used there mirrors the hardness of the heart of Pharaoh. It's, there's an intensity in the idiom, such as has not been in Egypt from the day it was founded. That's a pretty big deal. Number one, God knows the day it was founded. I think that's kind of cool. I mean, most of these things are shrouded in mystery. These countries have been for a while. Um, and, and, you know, like for Rome, you have twin brothers that founded Rome from sewing bones or something in the city of so you have those kind of mythologies, but God knows the day that Egypt was founded. Um, and yet, this hail is supposed to be uh, so massive that, that the Egyptians believed that their gods were personified in the elements of nature. Right? So you have here represented or attacked. Uh, this hail is a mockery of these Egyptian heavenly deities. Like, I love, I love gods that are named like Nut. Egyptian god Nut. Probably nut, but nut. Like happy, you know. Um, it's a goddess representative of sky and the vault of heaven. Then there's Shu, uh, the supporter of heaven who holds up the sky. Then there's, there's Tefnut. We call her, we call her Tefnut. Uh, it's a goddess of moisture. So you have all of these sky gods that are being involved, that are being attacked. None of them can stop this. None of them can produce this. And it's going to be such that the God of the Hebrews causes it to happen in a way that nobody in, in recorded history can, can duplicate uh, for Egyptian. Now, what does he say in verse 19? What does he say? He gives him some advice. Send. You won't send out my people, but send to get your livestock and all that you have in the field and to save shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on. Is that mercy? 
what is it calling on Pharaoh to do? What is it calling the Egyptians to do? To believe in God and do the same. To believe in God and yeah. trust God. What does that involve? Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Giving honor to the God of the Hebrews, who's going to cause it to happen, and to obey, right? To submit to his authority and obey. Now, we have record in here that some of them did it. The evangelistic call worked on some of the Egyptians. And they brought in, in, in obedience to what Moses had told them, the mouth of God had told them, do you trust what he says is true? Isn't that the basis of faith? We've talked about this before. We, we were, used to be in another room, and, and uh, we had a sink in that room that, um, that every now and then would make these demonic sounds. It, it would... And I'd, be, I'd be over here by the sink, and, it, and we'd kind of look over. And if I believe... And we, Cook was in here, uh, Brittany Cook was in here, and, and, and she, she started calling it Mufasit. So and, so, and so, if I believe that Mufasit is possessed, I pick up my podium and I move away from Mufasit. I act upon my belief, right? Well, they believe that God is true in what he's saying, and they act upon it by bringing in their men and beasts from the field so that they're not slaughtered by the hail. But not all of them did that. In fact, most of them didn't do it. All right. Some respond. The language in 20. Um, notice, how does, how does the Bible identify, how does Moses in writing Exodus identify those who, were, who saved their property? What does he call them? Verse 20. What does he say? Whoever fears. Feared the Lord. They were, now, feared. What, they were afeared. They were good southern Egyptians. They were afeared. Um, what, what does that show you? It shows you this, doesn't it? Um, what does Proverbs say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here you have those who heart, whose hearts have, have responded to this, which is amazing. The Gentile hearts that have responded to this. But sadly, not all of them did it. Most did not. We see that in verse, in verse 30. Um, those whose hearts remained hardened left their property in the field, verse 21. Uh, now, verse 22, the word for hail is used 29 times in the Old Testament. 29 times. 20 of them refer to this event. It's a big deal in the Bible, this event. Um, hail was rare in Egypt, and it was usually not a threat. Not so much here. It was very much a threat. And it, it destroyed. Not only was the hell, did the hell come, but there, it was accompanied by some things. What were they? Fire. Fire. Probably lightning. Lightning. What else? Thunder. Literally, the voice of God. Thunder is, 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 the, is the play on words. I mean, the voice of God. And many times that language of fire and thunder is used in conjunction with what we call a theophany, a pre, the, the manifested presence of God. Um, and you have that here. Can you see why this would freak them out a little bit? We, we see the same kind of idea on Mount... See, I'm going to figure this out before we get there, but it's either Mount Sinai or Sinai. I can't... The critics are all... The, the smart guys say it two different ways. I'm trying to figure out how to do it. So now you know my ignorance. Um, at the mountain of the law, there was 
thunder and fire, and they said, don't, don't let God speak to us anymore. We can't, we can't do it. This is kind of the idea that's going on here. In the midst of all this hail, there's this booming voice of God. Um, all right. And there are three mighty blows here. He struck down everything in the field, man and beast, every plant of the field, and every tree of the field, except where? Goshen. Does Pharaoh send out messengers again? No. Is it pretty obvious what's going on here now? So you, think he's, you think he's getting a little sense of, yeah, this is, this is not natural. <laughs> this is very bad. Um, and so what does he do? He confesses a little bit, right? Almost. Verse 27. When did he say he sinned? This time. How agreeable are you? <laughs> this is a good guy after all. I sinned this time. Nathaniel went over. What did I tell you to do about that? Not to. Yes. When did I tell you to do that? A minute ago. No, I've told you this forever, not to hit your sister and whatever. It's whatever we can get to sound like we're a little bit repentant. He may be weakening a little bit, but this is not repentance. Don't be fooled. It's not repentance. And Moses isn't. Although you've got to think about it. It's amazing he confessed it all, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's a God-man, right? Pharaoh? He's a, he's a, a deity. And Wasn't there one other time I think from this point forward, we're going to see that. No, no, this time, it's going to be, I'll do it. He is, uh, he's, he's negotiating. He's uh, shucking and jiving here with, the, with this, this God that he can't control, but he's trying to outwit because he believes that his heart controls history and society. Um, you stole my thunder. I'm just kidding. Um, you still have fire and wind. I know, I, I do. Well, you just took those two. Yeah, it's gone. Um, Since we're in the South, how, does he, how does he acknowledge God's voices? Well, the word that he uses there is not what we have come to associate with the covenant name of God. He uses the generic form, God's voice, Elohim, which could mean multiple gods to, to him. So he's not exactly giving honor to the Lord. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder. The the attributing voice though is to a plural. Yes, you're right. He says, "Go plead to your God," but there's been enough of these gods. He's still saying that like generic God is. He's still falling back on generic, but yes, you're right. He does address. Uh, to Moses, go plead to to Yahweh. Um, but there's a sign there that he's still not believing in only God. He's 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 still got this polytheistic notion of of many gods. And who does he need to appease? I don't know. What's he's still kind of playing the deity here with this with this idea? What's Moses' response? Why does he agree to pray? He knows it's useless. Right? Why does he agree to pray? Isn't that what stops the hail? Yes. So but does Moses... The 
that the earth is the Lord's, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Again, he recognizes the plurality of Pharaoh's language and, and, and points again, there's only one God. So you mean that the earth is the Lord's, is Yahweh's. So God is being, um, what, what's the significance here, verse 31 and 32? These, you have these, this parenthesis. I always wonder what um, the stuff that was already up is ruined, but the wheat is still in the ground because it was late coming up, and the wheat and the emmer, so it's still going to come up, and Pharaoh knows that, so he puts his hope in that. So if you have a mature plant and a seedling, and there's big rocks of ice falling from the sky, which do you think has more of a chance of surviving? A little seedling. Really? Well, you're the farmer. <laughs> if, yeah, because the the hill just decimates the uh, the larger plants. I mean, they're a bigger target. They just hmm. yeah. But you see, see that, I think opposite. No, no. You, but you see that you see that current day when guys lose their crop, you know, up in Oklahoma and Missouri, Kansas, stuff like that. When if their stuff is mature and it hails, <clears> they lose <throat> millions of dollars worth of crop. But <clears> if it's before the stuff sprouts or buds, then then they're fine. I think a more of a tender plant would be. But maybe you're right. Huh? The wheat hadn't even come up yet. There wasn't even a bud. Yeah, it was bloodless. <laughs> well, the indication here is that um, this is probably around January, or February, given the plants that he references as being mature. So we're talking early, you know, winter time, or the winter as they know it. So the, those ripe crops are not destroyed. This, the the shoot survived. What does that tell us about God and the and his relationship to the Egyptians there? He's, he's being merciful. what? Merciful. He's being merciful. Each one of these plagues is getting more and more and more intense, we could say hard, in relation to Pharaoh's hardness. And yet God still, in this severe hail, that such as they've not seen since the, the beginning of the founding of Egypt, is still merciful to them by leaving them uh, some shoots to come up later. But you can almost say that And what do they trust in? The wheat. the wheat. How do we know that? Okay. Study Bibles are banned from this class. Um, but the people who brought in their livestock, God was still caring for them. Sure. They still needed the wheat. They still needed the wheat. And what do we know from Pharaoh's response that lets us know he trusted in the wheat over uh, the repenting? He hardened his heart again. Once the threat is over, once the hail stops, he sins yet again. The other thing to think about, too, is that God leaves these shoots because there's got to be something for the locusts that are coming, right? (laughs) Have that idea going on there as well. Pharaoh holds out hope in these young shoots. He hasn't hit bottom yet. Hasn't hit bottom yet. Um... But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Think about that. Moses told him, um, God has raised you up for the purpose of you resisting him so he could show his power in the earth in destroying you. I'd be a little nervous. And yet he still hardens his heart. It may be 
if, if he, at that point, after he's been told that he was raised up for God, it's like even worse for him maybe to say, oh, okay, I'll let you go now. Because it's like, well, I've been hurting myself. So you think about your pride? Yeah, yeah. A little bit? Even more so than before. Maybe. Maybe there's a hook in his well, nose on that one. If, if he doesn't believe that God is going to send this stuff or that he really needs to let the people go, why is he going to believe him when God says this? You know, that, oh, oh really? Did you raise me up for this person? You know, he's kind of... Okay. He doesn't believe anything. But, but I'm thinking, surely, about this time tomorrow, this is going to happen. Such that he kind of confesses, which is unheard of for a, 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 a god of Egypt. He weakens, doesn't repent, but weakens. It affected him. This thunder, this voice, this presence of God over the land. And yet still hardens his heart. Does that seem rational to you? Logical? Somewhat sane? No. Sin is irrational. We do what we most love to do, and he really loved himself. Um, and again, in verse 35, we've seen this again and again. We'll bring it, out, bring it out here. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Again, you see that confirmation of human responsibility for Pharaoh's actions and divine sovereignty in directing, decreeing, ordering what was taking place. So God has a wonderful plan for Pharaoh's life. I was going to say maybe Pharaoh had listened to Josh Groban too many times and when God told him that he was going to raise him up for this purpose, he was like, well, I thought I was, you were raising me up so I could fly him correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Worldviews clash. That's not all that's clashing. Okay, Pharaoh. <laughs> Notice the difference in in leadership here. Pharaoh in his pride, permitted his people to be struck because of him. Uh, he knew that, that this was the reason for his rebellion, that God would gain glory, but he does, he does it anyway. Uh, next week we're going to spend some time on this notion of free will and predestination. We're just going to kind of just lay it out there and let the, let the objections ensue. Um, and we'll, and we'll just kind of wrestle with them. But there it is. Um, he does it anyway. It, just, just so you can prepare. Is that Josh Groban? Um, so just, just so you know, this verse, 916, for this reason I raised you up. Stop it. The, is the same, in, in the providence of God, is the same chapter and verse in Romans that uses this verse in, in, in Exodus. Romans 9, 16 uses this. I just find that one of the weird providences of God uh, that they're the same. Not that it's freaky or mystical, but I just kind of think it's cool. All right. Um, but for this week, I want to look at the, at the relief between Pharaoh contrasted with the leadership, the kingliness of Christ. Um, 
the, the rejection and judgment of the sky upon Pharaoh is shown again in Revelation 16, uh, 17 through 21. It's also shown in Revelation 8. You see the seven trumpets, and then in 16, uh, it's kind of laid out in, in terms of bowls. In 8, it's a third of the earth. Then in 16, it's, he ground squats the whole thing. So, um, All right. 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl. Notice it's the seventh, which is always the complete one. It's the last one. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of, sounds like a song, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. Does that sound familiar? So great was that earthquake. All right. 21. Um, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of hail, because the plague was so severe. Again, sin is irrational. You would think they would repent, but they don't. Somebody asked me, do you really think God's going to send a big you know, series of hailstorms? Well, maybe. But if it's... But if it's imagery, if it's metaphorical, um, and, and, and it's not exactly hail that comes down, it's a sign of something much worse. So don't take any comfort that there won't be hail. Just, just, it's, it's like the descriptions of hell. Hail and hell. If it's, you know, you, well, the worm will never die, there's darkness and gloom and lake of fire. How can you have fire and no light? Well, it's metaphorical, uh, and, and it's for something much worse. So don't take any comfort in the fact that it's metaphorical, because... Anyway, so you see this idea of the sky, God using the sky to judge the rebellious heart. The language in Revelation is, is verbatim. Um, God uses the sky again to strike those who have rejected Christ. But look at the difference between Pharaoh allowing his people to be struck because of his pride and Christ who allowed, who humbled himself and was struck for his people. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, same word, it's plague, smitten by God and afflicted. And here's the thing that, that impressed me. I'm going to wrap up here. <clears throat> Christ was suspended between heaven and earth, right? In the fall, heaven and earth were ripped apart. Christ is suspended between heaven, between earth and sky, uh, look at Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Ty, can you quote that still? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, the, the plan for Pharaoh, the plan for Christ. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Christ, heaven and earth are once again joined. And ultimately, when he returns, they will be really joined. Uh, it says it again in Colossians 1, 16. Colossians 1, 16. You see it, um, this idea of Christ merging heaven and earth, things in heaven and things on earth. 116 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
He is above all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All of earth one day will be temple. It's all temple. And, and you have that reconciled in Jesus. Finally, Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. 9 through 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He reconciles all things in himself, heaven and earth. Whereas God used the sky to judge the rebellious heart in Christ for his people, he reconciles heaven and earth together for his people and for the glory of God. So, uh, any questions on that? Next week, yes, free will, predestination, Calvinism, Arminianism, we'll get the whole thing out and just may spend a month on it. I don't know if you guys really want to fight about it. There's no debate. There's no debate? Well, then that's not fun. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Do you need to make an announcement? Can I pray first? Okay, are you sure? Oh, well, all right. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that in in Christ all things are reconciled to yourself and that our sin is no longer um, an obstacle to you being uh, just and the justifier uh, to the ungodly, that you are just in your judgments on the unrepentant heart and you are uh, justified in showing your mercy because Jesus has borne the the penalty that he was struck for our sin and bore the wrath that you had for us uh, on the cross. And we, we want to, first of all, recognize and honor your eternal attributes, but Father, make us thankful for what you've done. Give us thankful hearts. It's not natural. We want to complain about everything. We want to grumble about everything, but you in Christ have given us everything. And so we, we, we ask that your spirit grow in us the mature response of thankfulness. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Yes, ma'am. I, I, been here for your <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. <laughs>